You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 143. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And check us out at codingblocks.net. We can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. And you can send your feedback, questions, and rants to uh, comments at codingblocks.net. Sounded like we got professional here for a second. Follow us on Twitter at Cody Blocks or head to www.codyblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm not. <laughs> That'll teach you next time you say that we got professional. That's right. That's right. You learned me, didn't you? Nailed it. <laughs> First try. Hey, who are you? Not. You're not. Okay, good. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform for end-to-end visibility into modern applications. And Teamistry, a podcast that tells the story of teams who work together in new and unexpected ways to achieve remarkable things. And today we are talking about the third way, uh, which is uh, the third DevOps way, chapter 19, if you're following along in the uh, DevOps handbook book. So with uh, that, let's hop into the news. So as we like to do, we have, uh, we like to say thanks to everybody who left us a review, uh, you know, in iTunes and Stitcher. I wish other places would let you leave reviews too, because then we could read all those too. Uh, but from iTunes, we have uh, John Rowland. Sheffodorf, Dev CT, Fleming 001, Ryan J. Caldwell, and Asium. Oh, hey, that's me. Uh, and for Sister, thank you very much to Helia. Very nice. And I only, I, I just remembered this and I did it, you know, about a week or two ago, I think. Now, uh, if you are one of the people stuck at home, working at home, and your bum is uncomfortable from sitting in whatever chair you have, uh, we've got a couple of reviews up on YouTube for office chairs. And I just did one. It's the one that I recommend to most people. And it's actually called the Baby Miller or the Herman Miller is, is kind of what it's called the baby of. So if you're interested, we'll have a link in the show notes here. So definitely go check that out. If you've never seen one of Alan's reviews, talk about professional. Super good. And was it 100% uh, thumbs up on YouTube, which is unheard of? Oh, man. You just okay. – I jinxed it. I yeah, jinxed no, it. no. You didn't jinx it. Somebody listening is going to be like, oh, man. Sabotage. I'm going to be number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't happen that much. Anybody that's ever posted a, a video up on YouTube, you know – like <laughs> to to have a video up there for any amount of time that doesn't have thumbs down is is impressive. So I think I might have broken a YouTube record for two weeks straight without a thumbs down so far. I don't know. We'll see. Well, until till this episode airs. Yeah, till this yeah. episode airs. And, yeah, and then you're welcome. Destroyed. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So this is actually part number 85 that we're doing on the DevOps handbook, right? Uh, yeah, you think it'd be like a DevOps encyclopedia set. <laughs> <laughs> I like the look on Outlaw's face too. He's like, oh, deer in headlights. Oh, sorry. No, I was looking at the. I was. I was. I, I was trying to remember because you said the Baby Miller, and I'm like, wait, which one is the Baby Miller? And I went like googling for Baby Miller, and that came up as a worthless search. So then I was like, okay, Baby Miller chair. Surprisingly, that didn't help. So then I was like, okay, well, which one is it? Because I was trying to not click the YouTube video because I knew it was going to like <laughs> autoplay 
and you know that would be part of the you know recorded forever and it was and uh but yeah so i had to go to the youtube to get to it and then clicked the link there to see like oh what what chair are we actually talking about see i'm the point is the point of all of that whole rant that tangent is yes i was paying attention yeah, good job. Good job. <laughs> awesome. So before we dive into part three or the third way, I want to go ahead and mention what the first two ways are because uh, I I always have a hard time putting them into words. So I just Googled it again and see if I can remember them this time. So the first way was all about flow. You remember that was us talking about kind of like CI, CD type things and basically getting a moving pipeline. We talked about the Numi plant, doing things one at a time uh, and doing things continuously rather than batch. The second way was all about feedback which is like measuring metrics, um, you know, using that to make informed decisions. And then the third way, and experimentation and testing. Uh, and the third way is all about continual learning. That's what we're talking about today. And experimentation. And experimentation. Yep. So the in the little intro section, really the, the only takeaway to this was when we talk about learning, we're talking about learning quickly, frequently, cheaply, and as soon as possible, that's that's really what it boils down to. And then we're going to dive into what what each one of these means. That's my favorite kind of learning. Right. And the way I've kind of internalized this is like the first two ways are really about getting your stuff together. You got to get it buttoned down. You got to get it right. You got to get your ducks lined up. And then once you've got things going so they're not tripping on the little tiny crap that drives us all nuts, once you finally got things moving, that's when you can start taking the big swings for the fences. Yeah, I like it. So the first thing that we have here is what they talk about is if you really want to get good at working on complex systems, that you need to be good at detecting problems, solving problems. They call this multiplying the effects by sharing the solutions within the organization. And we'll talk about that in a second. Or actually, we talk about it now because I was last of the bullets. Um, <laughs> but... So what they mean is when you learn something, share your learnings with the rest of the organization. And then that way, everybody benefits from whatever, whatever you, you gained. Right. And that's, that's what it boils down to. And granted, anytime you're telling everybody else in the organization, maybe not everybody listens, but some people are going to listen there. And so that, that knowledge is now starting to spread throughout the organization. Well, they specifically gave an example of Google. And and Google sharing their uh, their lessons learned back in you know the repo so that everybody could take advantage of those those lessons. Mm-hmm. The, I don't remember any examples. Oh God, you probably <laughs> skipped them all. The best parts of it. Like they they also gave an example of Netflix. Um, did I did I move this in the wrong place? I don't think I did. So no, I think it's right. Yeah, they were talking about how um, some of these learnings uh, that they would get, they used Chaos Monkey across like availability zones to 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 create these problems, right? And this, what they would do is they would take these failures as an opportunity to learn rather than to to punish anybody, right? So as as they're going through this, that's really the the whole sort of idea behind this particular chapter is embrace failures as a way to learn how to avoid them in the future instead of trying to put, you know, throw somebody under the bus. They, they actually, they you know, the Netflix and the chaos monkey are going to be like a, a common theme throughout this whole, 
uh, third way. I mean, it gets referenced a few times because they talk about how, you know, uh, I think it was like 2009 where Netflix started re-architecting their, their infrastructure to be in AWS and then their approach to try to uh, withstand random outages. And that was like, you know, what became of the chaos monkey. And, uh, you know, there's a, there was an example in here. They were talking about like, you know, they wanted to be able to withstand an entire region going down and, you know, you know, spoiler alert, a little foreshadowing there. Guess what went down an entire region in AWS. And like it, it, uh, took out like a lot of companies. It was a big deal back when it happened at the time. I, I forget what the exact, uh, what year it was that happened, but it was a big deal when it happened. And a lot of companies were impacted by it. And Netflix was the only one that wasn't impacted because they had the chaos monkey and they had already like tried like, oh, hey, what if what if we lost everything in this region? Uh, can we withstand that outage? Oh, yeah, you know, we'll make this change, make that change. And, you know, uh, you know, they would like learn some little things here and there. And then when an actual problem did come up, they were, you know, already able to, to you know, withstand it. And it was actually like a, a to do at the time. Because um, people assumed that, uh, you know, incorrectly, that the reason why Netflix uh, didn't suffer an outage was because Netflix had some kind of special in with uh, Amazon or Amazon was treating them special. And that was why everybody else went down except for Netflix. And it wasn't the case at all. It was just they they had architected around AWS. They had forced themselves to go through artificial pains like that, which put them in the place to where they could handle it when it happened. You know, uh, so uh, Chaos Mesh is like another kind of um, item in this field that just came out. It's a CNCF project that uh, does the same kind of thing. It's Kubernetes first focused. And I was just kind of curious, uh, like Chaos Monkey comes up all the time. Like everyone knows the story of, the, you know, the Chaos Monkey. Uh, but uh, I figure that that's pretty old now. So I was just curious to see like what, you know, what kind of newer stuff that people were doing with that. And so, uh, you know, I'm really excited about uh, Chaos Mesh. That looks like something I can easily plug in. But it looks like there's a company called Gremlin too that has a product that's kind of similar. And uh, it's a paid service, but uh, the visualizations are really cool. So it's just kind of cool to see. Like even though we talk about Chaos Monkey, it's really just kind of a, like the, the poster child for a family of products and services. You say that everybody would know about it, but I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's true, though, man. Because, I mean, imagine, like, when Netflix created that, you know, we're talking about a dozen years ago, somebody could have been in, like, a middle school, gone all the way through high school, all the way through college, <laughs> The fir- they're into the first couple years of their career, and could have, like, never known about it. Like, you know, just taking it for granted. Like, oh, that's, that's the thing. That's well, like, whatever, you know. You mean they haven't been reading DevOps articles for the last 12 years? Right. What? And, and I well, did there's add so much links. else going on, you know. Yeah. I did add those links to our resources, so those will be on this particular episode. So if you haven't heard of these or haven't seen them, definitely go check them out. Oh, so yeah. I guess uh, the next section we're going to jump in, and this one is really interesting. I like this one a lot, as a matter of fact. So the name of this one was Establish a Just Learning Culture. And so what they say is by promoting a culture where errors are just, basically meaning they're okay, right? It encourages learning ways to remove and prevent those errors. On the contrary, if you create an unjust culture where people are basically punished for for having these failures, 
you promote an environment that is about bureaucracy, evasion, and self-protection, right? So, so people are going to try and hide if, if a failure comes up. And, and basically what it boils down to is this doesn't help anybody. And the sad part is this is how most companies and management work. Um, they put place the processes in place to prevent or eliminate any possibility of errors, right? Any any failures, and and that you'd you'd think that was that would be beneficial, but ultimately it hurts because now nobody wants to admit to what happened, and that means that you've created a culture of of trying to sweep things under the rug when they happen, right? Instead of sharing what you learned so that other people can benefit from it. Or or place blame. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I know the three of us have been in environments where blame is thrown around like crazy. And it, outside of the fact that you don't actually get to trying to solve and fix future failures that would follow that same thing, it destroys morale, right? Like it, it, it's a road it's a roadblock to progress because now people are afraid to push out more things because the more you push out the more possibility there are of failures like it's just it's it's a train wreck of things that that go in a negative direction when you have these type of policies in place have you ever worked anywhere where a person was fired after making a mistake yeah uh, i a, mean <laughs> not like a software developer mistake <laughs> <laughs> well, <the> HR mistake. <laughs> right? well, define mistake, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me either. I was just kind of curious. Like when I was, uh, you know, like younger or whatever, I always kind of assumed like people got fired because they would mess something up. But uh, and I've messed up some pretty big stuff. But um, in my experience, like whenever someone has really made a, like a big mistake, um, even with places that have had like nasty kind of blamey cultures, uh, I've never known got like let go for something like that. So I was just curious, you know, just because I always kind of had that impression. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I can't think of anybody that ever got let go because of doing something that caused an outage or anything. I mean, there's a yeah. difference between like you're trying to do your job and you made a mistake, and, you know, cause that's what software development is, right? Like you yeah. know, you're doing your job and like, okay, you made a mistake while trying to do your job. Like, you know, that that's different than, you know, where I went with it, but I don't know though. I mean, like maybe, you know, I don't know. Like, remember there was that, uh, you know, the AWS outage where like, it was just like, uh, like a routing yeah, cable or something that got, yeah. yeah, it was a configure, yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, I would hate it for that person if that's what happened, but yeah, maybe I, I, like, at I that kind of level where your mistake is like that costly, then maybe yeah. it did millions per second. But, yeah. but there again, I, I'd hoped that, that person wasn't fired. Right. Like I think Joe, you were about to go there with that too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think if that, if that person had like a long track record and had been spoken to several times and had it on you know on their reviews that they need to be more careful with something, and then this happened, then yeah, totally. But it wouldn't, right. in my opinion, that wouldn't have been because of this incident. It would have been like because of the incident and the history. Yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, I probably have it somewhere in the notes here, but that's one of the things that was interesting. This is a story of somebody at Netflix that had brought down Netflix. Twice within an, in like a, it was either eight or 18 month period. Oh my gosh. And they were like, yeah, but so here's the deal with this guy. He did that and it, it stunk, right? Like nobody enjoyed that. But this was also an individual who was responsible for really moving their platform forward. It like in massive ways over time. So, 
yeah, he had a couple of failures, but he also had some major successes. And the only reason that, that these things happen is because they were allowed to iterate and experiment and do all these things. Right. So, so you would hope that with some of the bad comes a whole lot of good. Right. And you want to, you at least want to weigh on the side of that. I just feel like bigger companies are better at kind of uh, averaging out that sort of stuff. Like with, I mean, you work at a small company. There's, there's lots of great reasons working at a small company. But if you work at a tiny start small company or startup, like if your boss just gets mad, they could just fire you. And right. <laughs> that that's harder to do when you get into kind of bigger corporations. Like I mean, bad stuff happens in bigger companies. Like that boss might try to force you out and just make your life miserable for months. But it's less likely that you're just going to get fired on a whim. I think. Yeah. So this next part that they say here is. When these failures happen, take that as an opportunity to improve the systems that, that have the problems, right? And and they went on to say, like, the psychological part of this is not only does that improve the system because you're doing that, but this also improves the relationships between team members, right? And and I know all three of us have been there. Like, when, when people aren't pointing fingers and people are trying to jump in to help and resolve issues – and you do that, everybody feels better about it, right? And especially if you take those steps to ensure that it doesn't happen again, instead of everybody feeling like, you know, getting the imposter syndrome and being like, man, I'm terrible. Now it's, hey, we're all just trying to do the right thing, right? Like yeah. we're all trying to make sure the systems are good. They actually like imposter syndrome was specifically mentioned in in the book by, you know, like you don't want to harvest, uh, uh, you know, enforce that within your your team and with it, within the culture of your team, like you want to, you want people to be, uh, willing to take a chance and, you know, if they make a mistake, it'd be okay. Uh, you want people to experiment and, and, uh, you know, not feel, feel bad about it because otherwise, like, like you said, then, uh, if you, if you have this environment where you can't take a chance and you do make a mistake and you're going to be blamed for it, like, you know, you're going to feel, bad and you're going to feel like an imposter because like, Oh, why did I mess up to config? And even if you're not, bl- even if people aren't pointing fingers at you, almost all of us take that guilt on anyways, right? Yeah. Like you release something that you know was, Oh man, how did I miss that? You know, oh, like you already have that in you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, countless times, like it doesn't even have to get to production. It's just something as simple as like, you know, you, you, you committed something and for whatever reason, it 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 didn't break the build necessarily, and it got past the processes. And then you know maybe like a random deployment happened where it's like, oh well, if you if you deploy and then you do these three steps, pff, I can't even yeah. do my job anymore. It's broken. Like what happened, right? I mean that right. happened that happened to us this week, right? Where it was like you know one of, one of our teammates was like. Oh man, I tried everything. Like, how did that happen? And it was like, oh yeah, if you if you happen to do like this order of things, then you know, and you got to you know whatever, take that as a lesson learned and and learn from it. And that's where it's like, uh, if you any any of those lessons that you can incorporate back into your process or into like a unit test or whatever, like if you can trap that kind of thing, it's so much better. Uh, and one thing I wanted to point, mention too, like when it comes to major outages uh, and like major services is like usually one failure, it, there's no such thing as one failure if it takes out a whole big thing. Like not only did the problem happen, but nothing was able to protect itself or recover or, you know, move on from that. So it wasn't just one failure that led to a failure. It's always at least two. Now, if you're, you know, if you've got like a small Jamstack website or something and the website's down, 
then, you know, <laughs> I guess, you, I don't know. You should have had a backup, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, there's always more to that. But uh, you actually just reminded me, and I wanted to go ahead and get this. I'll give you a link. So remember, uh, was it last episode or the episode before, we talked about an article, um, basically talking about unit tests being overrated. Oh, yeah. So um, we published the episode, put the tw- Twitter link out, and I don't know if you, you all saw this, but um, the author uh, listened to the episode and really? wrote back and you yeah. know, basically disagreed with some of the stuff we had to say. And it, I mean, it was all really good. Like, um, so I, I don't want to give commentary on their opinion just because, you know, like, uh, I kind of want people to be able to just kind of read what they had to say about what we had to say. We already kind of had our piece. So, uh, I thought everything he had to say was like, you know, really good and really relevant and, and legit. And so I think it's all really good. So we'll have a, a link here. Uh, and you know, ultimately I still feel like it, it it's almost like we kind of came down to like whether or not we felt they were literally overrated overrated or underrated so i still feel like i'd like to see more of in the world and uh it feels differently and that's okay but uh, just the discourse was really good so i'll get a link here yeah and it is funny to the the link that'll give you for twitter like the dude spent a lot of time replying back to it because as you know twitter's not the friendliest place to try and reply because you're cut off on characters but i think more or less what he said is he thought that we misunderstood or you know, kind of misrepresented some of what he was saying, but he said that was also a common problem with what his article was mainly because of his title, right? He said overrated. I didn't mean it in in the negative connotation that it was taken in. He said, but that's actually the word that I was trying to use. And so he goes on to explain a lot of it. Yeah, that's why I kind of want to – I don't want to like debate what he had to say a third time because it's, it's like one of those things like where we got the microphones. And so it's not fair like we need to, to right. just kind of blow out our side. So, you know, like if, if you're interested in that, I would recommend going out and checking the tweet. Uh, and you can see his original tweet to us and then there's a link to uh, the bigger thing that he wrote. So it's just really good. And it's all just really interesting. So go get it. Yep, totally. Um, so – This next piece that we had here is they said when developers do cause an error, they are encouraged to share the details about the errors and how to fix them. Because if you do that, then everybody benefits from it, right? That's what we talked about a minute ago. And by doing this, what they actually suggested is after any time there's a failure, you have what they call a blameless postmortem. So I think all three of us have been part of postmortems where basically, hey, how did this happen? What can we do to stop it, right? And and in most of them I've ever been in, they're pointing fingers. Um, in this case, they're like, no, you you don't have that. You have this blameless one, and and it's interesting. Another thing they say that you need to do is you need to have controlled introductions of failures into production. Which is really interesting because this is their way of basically finding out um, in a way that that you control what shutting off an availability zone would do or or, or making some other things. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute, but it, it, it's really weird to hear that. But on the uh, blameless postmortems, let's dig into that a real, uh, real quick here. So one of the things that they say that you need to do is when you go into these meetings – you need to create timelines and collect details from many different perspectives, right? So if the three of us were working on something, hey, when did X go wrong? Okay, the first time I noticed it was this time. Um, this is what I saw happen. And then Outlaw, what did you see happen? And Joe, what did you see happen, right? Like get it from everybody's perspective so that it's not tunnel vision on any one person, right? 
Like, oh, well, uh, Outlaw's not here today, so uh, I think it was probably his fault. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I thought it was blameless, though, sir. What happened to that? (laughs) That's Uh, right. Hey, we didn't say that we're good at this. Oh. Oh, We're still learning, and that was our fault. Our bad. Oops. (laughs) So one of the other keys to these these postmortems is empower the engineers to provide the details of how they may have contributed to the failure, right? So again, we're not placing blame, but hey, I you know I reviewed the code and I didn't see that this was over here, right? Or maybe I wrote the code, but I didn't know how to test for this one thing. Like who knows what it is, right? But basically put the details out there because by identifying those things, you know what you might need to look for in the future. Anybody want to take the next one? Sure. Yeah. Encourage. Oh. Nope. Yeah. So as I was saying, uh, before I was so rudely interrupted. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. This is a, a blameless postmortem. I wasn't, I, no, <laughs> no fault there. Uh, encourage those who did make the mistake to share with the organization and how to avoid those mistakes in the future. And, you know, don't dwell on the hindsight, like the, the coulda, the woulda, the shoulda, you know, like there was a problem. Fine. Uh, you know, figure out what caused the problem, address it and move on. Right. Like, Oh my God, but we could have had this or, or because of your stupid mistake, we lost blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay. I mean, we can, we can get mad about the past or we can just, you know, move on and, and, you know, try to make progress. What are we going to do? Right. Uh, also, um, proposing countermeasures to ensure that uh, similar things don't happen in the future is also a, a really big part. It's like, what could we have done or what can we do in order to uh, mitigate or just fully stop this? And uh, setting a date, I think, is a really big part of this one. Like, <laughs> It's one thing to talk about, like, yeah, we should do this. Or even like writing a ticket and not like assigning it to a sprint or whatever. It's like basically casting it into the abyss. So I'll put a date on that sucker. Yeah, that man, that is so big because I, I know all of us have come out of meetings where there's action items, but there's no, there's no priority. There's no, there's no, Hey, when are we going to have this done? And if there isn't any of that, the, the abyss that we're talking about is the backlog that everybody is so fondly aware of in agile or whatever, right? Like it just disappears. Or, yeah, and then tickets become like CYA. It's like, yeah. Oh, we got to take it for that. Uh, so you can't get mad. Or what about, you know, you do come out with a bunch of action items, but it's like, yeah, but my current queue is still my priority. So, I mean, sure, you, you go ahead, add it to my queue. I'll it'll be uh, six months before I get to it. But yeah, and I think the sad reality is typically when there's a failure, it's it's all hands on deck, right? It's the fire drill. You get this stuff knocked out, and then as soon as it's done, then it's almost like in many, 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 many cases, it's like almost discarded, right? Like, hey, hey, we got past it. Moving on to the next feature that we got. Websites back up. Yeah, right. Right. Yep. Now Let's we're done. You want yeah. lunch? Let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, put a date on that thing. Commit to it. I, so, I thought you were saying put a ring on it. Commit to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother set of problems. You could be a cat or you could be bliss, right? It's either. Wow. Um, I'm surprised. You went negative with it first. That's the funny part. Well, that, I mean, I was putting on my comedy hat. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Like, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. That, that comedy hat. Obviously yeah. sarcastic. Right. Yes, Obviously. totally. No, I, I personally love my bliss. So, um, all right. So the next thing, the, the oh, stakeholders. Oh, CYA, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like a postmortem in real time. 
if my wife listens to these podcasts. So, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love you, That's hilarious. <laughs> totally. Totally not. I was played. I was totally kidding. All right. So, um, yeah, the next one, the stakeholders that should be present at the meeting. This one's kind of interesting. So, the people who were a part of making the decisions that caused the problem. They should be there. Uh, the people who found the problem. The people who responded to the problem. The people who diagnosed the problem. Those who were affected by the problem. Now, this is interesting because this starts stepping outside of maybe the engineers, right? This is, the, I don't know, were you writing a customer service app? They should probably be there. Uh, and then, how about this one? Anybody else who might want to be there? <laughs> yeah, that one was crazy. Right. And, and like, if you're thinking like, but I work for a small company and all of those first ones just like, okay, all of those are going to be me and my boss. <laughs> who was responsible for making the decision that caused the problem? Me. Who found the problem? My boss. Yeah. Who responded <laughs> to the problem? Me. Who diagnosed the problem? Me. People who were affected by the problem? My boss. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, people who were affected by the problem are often left out of this sort of thing too. I really like that. And a lot of times I think... um the reason why they want the people in the meetings is because they have different perspectives and sometimes like they might be kind of surprising to the people who like found or fixed it. Like, yeah, especially, um, I want to hone in on the people who found the problem. You might think like, well, that was just some person in customer service who got a phone call. Like it's important to have the person on, uh, in the meeting because they might say, well, we get calls from time to time, but most of the time I don't think it's serious. Or whenever I get a phone call like this, I need a bat signal to be able to push up because it's almost always something very serious. Any customer has seen it and, you know, thought to call there were probably thousands of customers that didn't see it and so um that kind of alerting is really important and also um the people who are directly uh, affected by the problem so if marketing was down because the server went down you might get them in the meeting and then realize like wait why the heck do you even care like why did you go down if the mail you know smtp went down or something and you might be able to kind of realize that uh, maybe there's just some like some dumb dependency that you didn't even need to have in the first place that you could just totally prevent that problem in the future. And you may not have ever realized that this whole thing wasn't even needed if you didn't have the people in the room to say like, I wasn't even trying to send an email. What the heck? Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. And the, anyone who might want to attend, that's kind of valuable too, because maybe those people are just trying to get insights into how things operate, right? Or or maybe you can provide insights to them on the kinds of things that you do. And they can be like, oh, you should never do that, right? Like you might get valuable feedback and you might provide valuable feedback that nobody would have been aware of. Or if you're a pessimist like me, you're just thinking like, oh, everybody just wants to see who was the dummy that made the mistake. <laughs> Yeah, it's hey. voyeurs. But nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. Right? Oh, it's like, oh, hey, I'm here for the arena fight, the pit fight. What are you talking about? That's yeah. right. They're going to be sitting no, there like, with their popcorn. Um, like that, that's how you know like who's just there to attend that might want to. They're, they're the ones yeah, exactly. in, the, in the corner with the popcorn. It's like, are the interns here because they just don't feel like working or are they here because they're actually interested in like how we figured this out and what we did about it? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so... Now let's talk about the meeting itself and what should actually go on in it, right? So we now have identified that everybody in the company can be there if they want to. Um, so what do you need to do? You absolutely have to be rigorous about recording all the details of your findings, how you diagnosed it, what you did to fix it, like all of it. You need to be just hyper detailed about it, which I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. Like I am terrible about that yeah. because I, and I, and I hate it, but usually when I'm problem solving, I'm, 
I'm constantly clicking through trying to find, okay, this is what happened here. All right. What's the next piece? What's the next piece? And then I don't take the time until I get to the end of the trail to say, okay, what did I do? Um, and then I try and rewind in my mind and say, okay, this was a, and I'm sure that I missed some things along the way. You but, know what I mean? I mean, we're not, you know, with this, these meetings that you're going to have for this, we're not talking about like, oh, hey, uh, there was a slight bug and, um, you know, there was, it was a slight CSS bug. So the logo was a little no. bit off center. I mean, we're talking no. about the type of bug where like, you know, money was lost because of a mistake. That, that's the only time that I've ever seen these types of meetings happen. Money is lost or customers are mad. It's one of the two, right? Like that's really what it boils down to. I, in, I, in my, I'm just saying like, I've never seen it because customers were simply mad. It was because money was lost and maybe customers were, were mad. And so therefore they didn't shop, but yeah, like you could do, directly see like, oh, hey, a deployment went out and uh, all of a sudden we started making less money. Right. And this is a super important. Like, uh, and you imagine a marketing department uh, was uh, faced an outage because of something that happened in IT. And say they missed some deadline or they missed some, you know, goal for their bosses. And so they have to go explain, like, why they didn't meet their quarterly target or whatever. And if they say, uh, IT was down three times this month. Well, what the heck? Like, we can't do our jobs. Then it's really important that IT be able to say, like, we were down three times. It was down for this long. And here's what we did about it. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's right. the only time I've ever seen like the, these kind of postmortems happen where you would like document like what even happened. And, and <clears throat> you know, you think about like, uh, think about things that happen in like real time, like, uh, like a broadcast news or live sports, right? If you have something that causes you an outage during that, it's, it's a lost opportunity, right? You can't, you can't go back. Like if you, if you're unable to play a commercial at a time that you were supposed to play it, you know, you, not only you're going to have to like make it up. So like you've lost that opportunity and, and you know, it's only in those kind of that type of live uh, situation where I've like, you know, seen uh, where, where, where we've had these, you know, cause it was a big deal. Cause you know, money was involved. Yeah, that's true. I've seen uh, ulterior motives too. Um, there was one, uh, there was a case where we went down and the boss was strangely worried about how much money he thought we lost. Like well, he wanted to make sure that we like had a good estimate on how much the how much bottom line was affected by the revenue. I was like, doesn't this kind of look bad on us? You know, make it higher. Uh, people might have been shopping. Like he he seemed to have a, an interest in getting that the dollar value lost higher. I, would, I thought that was the weirdest thing. But then next thing you know, he's like he turned that into a play for um, more headcount. So it was kind of like a chip we wanted to say like, hey, look, we lost $500 million because you didn't give me that extra three head count that I asked for last quarter. Good job. Uh, nice, nice reversal. Yeah. So one of the other things that needs to happen in these meetings is you are not allowed to say could have, should have, would have, whatever. Again, it's counterproductive. And I really like this rule, yes. right? Focus on what happened and what you can do to fix it. That's it. Yeah, because the, I actually I loved this point too. Um, because they say that if you if you use those kind of terminology, you're focusing on what could be rather than what it is, right? And and instead, that's not helpful. It's not. It doesn't matter what could have happened or what should have happened because that's not the system you have. And you're right. you're by using that kind of terminology, you're thinking about some dream system that you wish you had instead of focusing on this is the world we live in. This is the system we have. Here's how we deal with it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, the, another one that I like here, 
that I don't think is probably done enough justice in most places most most of the time. Reserve enough time to brainstorm the countermeasures that you can implement to address these. And and I know that seems kind of rough, right? Like how long are you going to make these meetings? But if your goal is to truly improve the systems that you guys are delivering, then it kind of makes sense for people to be able to put those ideas out there and, and spitball and get some of those things down. I would love to see one of these meetings uh, the way that they're tomorrow. describing Run it in the book, <laughs> you know, because like I've never like what happens is at least an, a minimum of an hour is set aside. And, you know, my, my uh, I guess just unfortunate, like where I've, where I've seen these go, they, they are not, you know, there's definitely blame going on. <laughs> It's right. not this blameless environment that they're describing in the book. There's a lot of, you know, finger pointing and coulda, shoulda, you know, conversations happening. And, you know, you probably spend at least the first half hour of the, uh, you know, or the first half of the meeting just getting through all the emotions of like, well, so-and-so did this and it shouldn't have been blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then you're like, by the time you actually get to like, okay, well, you know, let's try to be more productive then you know, the rest of the time is just focused on, uh, you know, here's how we found the problem and here's what we did to fix the problem. Time to reserving time to brainstorm. No, 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 (laughs) never seen the first, first third of the meeting is you coming at me with the should haves. And then the second third is me coming back at you with the, I would haves, but, and then the third third of the meeting is actually productive. (laughs) Yeah, that that's about right. It's, it's not terribly far off. But again, that's a culture thing, right? Like, I, I mean, this this goes back to Outlaw, my favorite parts of the book, are all the, are all the case studies. And they talk about, I, I believe Target was one of them that was in there to where they focus on, hey, what can we do to make this better going forward? Etsy, another one, right? Etsy is huge on this whole process of let's let's work on how we fix these failures moving forward right by identifying the things that we could have done better um so the the thing that they say though is these things that you brainstorm again you need to schedule you know prioritize the ones that you think have a lot of have some good teeth that you can put out there and then and then put it put it on the schedule make sure that there's a time to get it done um now, this is where I thought things got really interesting is now you need to publish what you learned, the timelines, uh, all the stuff from that meeting to your entire organization. So we kind of joked about this in the past that this stuff typically goes in like a wiki, right? Let's say, and if we <laughs> at our current, I don't say this, you say this, yeah. So many people have taken this and sort of coined this. The wiki is where information goes to die. <laughs> you say I don't do that. Yeah, I don't believe you. Which is but, great when we talk about like post-mortem and right. morgue. Yeah. Right. So what stinks about it is, and what, and what we mean by that is, you spend a lot of time writing wiki, wiki documentation, right? Like how do you or do wiki. this? How do you set things up? Or, or, or anything, right? So the problem is... If somebody goes to do something, they'll be like, hey, does anybody know how to do this? Like, hey, did you search on the wiki? No, I didn't think about that. And it's like, really? There's like 1,200 pages of information out there. Why did nobody decide to search it? And that seems to happen more often than not. But 
along with this, they actually mentioned that Etsy had this problem where these postmortems and the findings and the learnings and all that, they got so big that it was hard to actually sift through that information. So they actually created a tool called Morgue where they index and put this information so that people can easily and quickly go and search for these findings from the the past failures and whatnot. So again, Etsy throwing some good stuff out to the um to the world in terms of open source software that they've created. Today's episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring platform for real-time observability and detailed insights into Docker performance. Yeah, enhance visibility into container orchestration with a live container view and easily detect clusters that are consuming excess resources using an auto-generated container map. And you know how we're all about uh, measuring those metrics and service level objectives? Well, I was just cruising the engineering blog, as I like to do for Datadog, and was reading about how someone was using custom metrics and open source software to, and Datadog, of course, to, uh, to monitor their boat and to use them help sail the uh, seven seas. Uh, and it's just a really cool article, and you can see how they use Datadog and all the visualizations. And, uh, you know, of course, I was on the blog, too. I had to see what else was going on there. So uh, the Istio-D visualizations are really cool. And, uh, of course, I've mentioned several times the uh, Kubernetes, Docker, serverless. I, it's just crazy. And the, the list of integrations is just insane. So you just got to go to the website and, and see what people are doing with this and just be inspired. Yeah, it's awesome. Out of the box, uh, Datadog collects critical metrics from each Docker container so you can get immediate visibility into aggregated and disaggregated surface level tr- service level traffic. Yeah, so we love Datadog and you will too. So you should go ahead and try Datadog today by starting a free 14-day trial and receive a Datadog t-shirt after creating just one dashboard. Visit datadoghq.com slash codingblocks Again, that's datadoghq.com slash coding blocks to get started today. All right. So it's that time of the show where we ask you, if you haven't already, please, if, if, if you want to give back to us, take the time to leave us a small review. It truly puts a smile on our face and, and it, and it lets us know that, that people are appreciating it out there and it actually helps us, right? Like, no, we probably don't get more downloads, but it is nice when somebody goes and looks at a show and sees that there's not just one person that likes it. Right. So, um, yeah, if you, if you get the chance and and you're listening to this and you get back in front of a keyboard, head to codingblocks.net slash review. And we've got links there that will allow you to either do it for iTunes or Stitcher. So, um, pick, pick, pick whatever place works for you, but we greatly appreciate it. And we thank you for everybody who has done it. All right. And with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. So uh, a few episodes back, we asked, what's your favorite mobile device? And your choices were an iPad, the tab father of tablets, or an Android-based tablet. Great hardware specs without the hassle of long-term support. (laughs) Or a Kindle. It was on sale. Or Chromebook for the win. Not quite as portable as a tablet, nor as useful as a laptop. Or a two-in-one laptop. A giant, bulky tablet that can run Docker. All right. uh, I can never remember who went last. So uh, how about... 
uh, I think maybe Math and the Chicken went first last time. It seems like Math and the Chicken went first last time. So I think it did. Yeah. So uh, Alan, with your your new hairdo there, uh, you're gonna have to see the video for this. You like? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, I'll let you go first. What's your pick, and by what percent do you think it won? So I can't help but feel like these answers were slightly biased, <laughs> just a little bit biased. But I personally, I would have loved it if people had said the two and one, but I know that's not going to be it. Anybody that has any self-love will say an iPad, um, the tab father of, of tablets. So we'll go with that. And I'm going to give it, I think this is a, a healthy win here. I want to say 51%. So wait, you said iPad? iPad, yeah. 51%. iPad at 51%. Okay. iPad 51. So Mathema Chicken, what you got? Uh, I'm going to go with um, the sixth option, none. My phone is bad enough <laughs> with <laughs> 70%. Uh, no, I guess I'm mean, I, I guess i going to go for laptop just to be different with, jeez, uh, um, it's 10%. Ten <laughs> percent to win. <laughs> All right, so so Alan's going to go with uh, an iPad at uh, iPad at fifty one percent, and Joe's going to go with two and one laptop at ten percent. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, now drum roll, because like this is this is going to be shocking. Alan wins. <laughs> and I know you're thinking like, how? The math on the chicken clearly had this one. And yet, you're so far off. But... Who was closer on the percentage, though? Alan, you did overshoot the percentage. Oh, uh, did I really? What so, was you know, I guess because you overshot, that, that does mean that math on the chicken wins. Of course it does. <laughs> no, he picked the wrong answer. He didn't win. Of course it does. <laughs> I was closer. Uh, so... Uh, iPad was the top choice at 30% of the vote. That's it? Wow. Oh, second. Oh, no. This is, this is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I'm having network issues over here. I said, I said the uh, iPad was the top choice at 30% of the vote. Yeah. Yep. What was so. number two? I mean, 30% is not as healthy as I would have thought it was. I mean... This one's going to be a shocker, but of course it was an Android-based tablet as second wow, all right. at around 26% of the vote, which makes sense because, you know, we're talking tablets and those are going to be the top two tablets. Yeah. Do any Android tablets have good screens now? Oh, there are some with great screens. The yeah, problem yes. is they have terrible updates and they have terrible longevity. Yeah. I, as an owner of several not cheap Android tablets, I will never buy another one. It will only ever be iPads yeah. going forward. That's the problem with them is that like the hardware specs are great on them. Yeah. They're, that's never the problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll put it like right. this for, for anybody well, that. Oh. We also, if you remember. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, sorry. You, you came in and out again. So, yeah. Go no, go, go ahead. You're going to put it like this. Oh, okay. So I, I will say. I have had many Android tablets and the max shelf life on them is two years. 
I've had iPads and maybe you say two years is fine. Right. But, but that drives me crazy. I've had iPads. I have an iPad that is seven years old that you can still use. It's not as fast as a new one, but you can still turn it on and use it. The Android tablets after about two years, you can't even really use them. Like they just, they're, they're for all intents and purposes, a paperweight at that point in time. And forget about a Kindle. I mean, you can't even get through the holiday season with it still being nice. Those things are awful, man. But if you want to give something to your kids that has a screen, <laughs> you don't care if they break it. The Kindle's a perfect option. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're having some technical difficulties. They're, they're very funny for us, though. Um, Outlaw but, just stood up. He's, <laughs> he's, he's going to unplug it. his kid's TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh yeah, I had some some networking issues there, but hopefully hopefully that'll be the end of that. Uh you know, cuz I mean with the pandemic coming to an end and like everybody going back to school and work and everything like, you know, all the global internet can can settle back down to what it was before. I think we're done. Um We're good. <laughs> that's the takeaway. That's the real takeaway. Okay. Um oh, we wish so if you recall, uh, in the same episode that we had the uh, uh, survey about your favorite mobile device, we also had Joe's super secret surprise survey of Go or Rust. All right, Mathemachicken, this one is all you. You got two choices here. Give me your favorite pick. And by what percent do you think it won? Um, go or Rust? Uh, I think Go won uh, with, at, I mean, at least 49%. <laughs> you think it had a 49% lead over <laughs> Rust? Oh, no. You want to know how much the lead was? Yeah, the lead. Oh, point. Uh, no, I think it, I think it, uh, I'm going to say 25% lead. Uh, okay, so you're saying that you think that Go had 75% of the vote. No, Go had 49% of the vote with 25% lead over Russ. Get with the program. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry. My math isn't, uh, you know, your skills are far superior, sir. So, yeah, okay. Uh, it might take my head a, a minute or two to, to get wrapped around that concept. So, uh you know, forgive me if I mess that up again, Alan. Right, right. I already looked at it, so I'll, oh, yeah, I Alan. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't answer this. We're, we're gonna have to go with what the mathematician chicken said here. Yep, that's what it is. Fine. Uh, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> the confidence is brimming over. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna win this well, one. Let me, Let me say that Joe, you won because you were the only <laughs> one. And you didn't overshoot. So, you know, hey, good. Good job. I like your strategy there. Uh, it was go at 64%. Now, here's what I find interesting about that. Because if you recall, when we discussed the Stack Overflow uh, 2020 survey, uh, like, you remember how I had like this, this streak of like I kept picking the right answers, right? And this was one of them that we were talking about, like, you know, what was the top language or something, if I recall correctly. And and I had selected Rust as being the top language. 
And according to Stack Overflow, that is like the most uh, loved and most wanted uh, language. Well, no, not most most wanted. Sorry, uh, that was that was Python was most wanted, but most loved was Rust, and uh, by eighty six percent of the Stack by Overflow survey. By all three survey. developers, yeah, by all three developers who use it. Yes. <laughs> No way, man. Like uh, that Stack Overflow survey. I mean, I forget how many thousands they said responded to it, but it was it was a pretty yeah, it was healthy. You know, respectable, yeah, uh, survey they had there. And and so I found it interesting that it was like, you know, uh, when we asked the Go or Rust, that Go beat out Rust. So yeah, no, uh, wait. Wait, where did Go beat out Rust though? Rust is showing still on that link eighty six percent, and Go is showing sixty two percent. Yes, love. but but in our the people that responded to our survey, oh, hours, hours. Oh, is that what it. you thought? You looked at the Stack Overflow link. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Alan, you could have participated in the I fun. Could have I was totally wrong. Oh. Yeah, there we go. Yep. Too bad. So sad. Move Dang on. it. <laughs> I lose. Fine. <laughs> I man. lose. You know what? Fine, Alan. Fine. We just can't have nice things. And That's so right. we'll just move on. And, you know, we'll talk about this episode's joke. Uh, I got to trick you up every time. I got to like figure out a new way every time. So this one comes from Super Good Dave, and awesome. uh, he, he he wrote this one in that he found on Twitter. What did Yoda say when he saw himself in 4K? Yoda, that's okay. a lot of ear hair. <laughs> okay, now keep in mind this is very this is very timely because like Mandalorian season two is coming out soon. I don't know if you've seen the trailers for it. No spoiler alerts. Don't tell me because I purposely didn't watch it. <laughs> I have no idea what this answer is going to be. Oh, really? Joe? Nothing? Hmm. How about, no. <clears throat> I'm not going to try, I'm not even going to attempt to do a Yoda impersonation, but I will say that when Yoda saw himself- No, you got you to do it. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, All right, God. come on, click. Let me clear my throat. <laughs> yeah, right. I uh, can I even do a Yoda? Like, how would Yoda even sound? Like, <laughs> he would say something like "do" or "do not." Okay. So, so uh, when Yoda would see himself in 4K, he would say "HD am I?" <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Dave. I like it. Yeah. All right. So uh, for this episode's survey, we ask, how often do you change jobs? And your choices are, job? Why would I do that when I can boss myself around? Or, I don't want to. Interviewing is awful. <laughs> or, every three years, like the Stack Overflow survey tells me to. Or, lastly... About every five years after I've built up enough embarrassments. <laughs> this episode of Coding Blocks is supported by Teamistry, a podcast that tells the stories of teams who work together in new and unexpected ways to achieve remarkable things. It, Teamistry, if you haven't heard it, 
each episode of Teamistry tells a story, and in each story, you'll find practical lessons for your team and your business. And it just so happens that I got a, uh, we all got a super sneak preview of episodes of season two coming up. And I got to tell you about my favorite one, which will be out. Uh, it's episode four. So it's coming up pretty soon here, but it's not been released yet. Uh, but it's super high quality. It's like, it's like listening to a documentary. But this episode was about using machine learning and uh, AI to track animal populations like zebras and whale sharks. And so not only was it about the technology, but also about how they got the right people involved and were able to use that technology and uh, put those teams together in order to to make it all work. And it was just really fascinating to listen to. And I cannot emphasize uh, enough just how great the quality was. I was like entranced. Uh, you know, you heard of those driveway moments where you like don't want to shut off the car because you want to hear uh, what they have to say next. So uh, that's, that's the type of uh, listening that we're talking about here. And uh, it's just really inspiring and ties into a lot of the things that we talk about, like, um, you know, why population uh, control and estimates are important and why and how to get people involved and how to just organize something that's so big and so important. So definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I too also got a sneak preview of season two, which I think this episode actually is out. And this was about the Seiko dueling factories, which was a fascinating story. Like truly, again, like what what Joe said is the production quality super high. And, you know, it's, it's the right amount of information plus, you know, takeaways that you could do. And I thought this one tied in really well to this episode, which is where Seiko basically encourage their different factories to experiment and almost have like competitions, right? Which, which help grow the company by saying, Hey, it's okay to fail because it's through these failures that we're going to find the way to do things. Right. And so it was just, it was a perfect parallel to this. And the story was told extremely well. I highly recommend go checking it out. If you like, if you like those type of, of episodes where you learn something and you walk away with useful information, this is a great one. And, and you know how Alan and I both love the case studies and the Seiko one was just a great, it, it was a, such an entertaining, great uh, case study of like what they did. So yeah, these are stories that entertain packed with business cases you can actually use. Season two of Teamistry is already out as, uh, you know, Alan said like with that Seiko, the Seiko episode is already available. Search for Teamistry Anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, we'll include a link in the show notes and our thanks to Teamistry for their support. All right. So now we're talking about finding more failures as time moves on. And the deal here is that as you get better at resolving agrarian... Ag- who wrote this? Egregious. <laughs> at finding real bad errors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the errors become hey, more Greg subtle. errors? <laughs> uh, Greggy Aries. <laughs> All right. It's too late. It's too late for big words. Uh, big words. It's 10.25 p.m. My time zone, yo. It's bedtime. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, errors become more subtle and you need to modify your tolerances to find weaker signals indicating errors. Uh, and I hadn't really considered that very much. So that's really interesting. And it, you know what's uh, kind of stinks too is uh, sometimes those subtle bugs that are harder to find are also harder to fix. Oh yeah, no doubt. What what was cool is in those white cases that, or those uh, case studies that you don't like is the story about NASA that they were talking about why the Columbia blew up 
coming back in. It was a loose piece of foam. And, and it was basically one of those things where they were like, oh yeah, this stuff happens all the time. Like they would look at it. They, people had noted it and said, Hey, that's up there. And they're like, eh, whatever. It's not a big deal. Right. And that's kind of what we're saying is once you start getting really good at fixing the big failures, you need to start focusing on the little things that can be problematic because that can actually start paying some dividends for you in the future. And that's where you'll find like comments in the code from Alan where it'd be like, I don't even know how you got here. <laughs> True story. Uh, <laughs> this should never happen. Oh, oh, this is so I, I know we marked this as, as it was done, but here's the one thing that they that they wanted to point out is NASA at the time was very focused on um these stringent um, compliances and standardization, like making sure that you checked A, B, C, and D, right? Like they have these checklists, that's what you needed to check, and that's what you stuck to. And the whole point of this finding the weaker signals is don't get so rigid and process-driven in what you're doing. Always be looking for things, always be experimenting, always be trying to find the next thing that it is instead of, hey, I have this checklist, that's all I need to focus on, right? Like don't get stuck in that rut. All right. So looking uh, here now, uh, redefining failure and encouraging calculated risk uh, taking. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about failure on this episode and how important it is to create a culture where people are comfortable um, talking about mistakes and uh, surfacing and, and learning from failures. Because if you are nasty with people when they find problems and you're encouraging not to find them or to rather uh, to fix them. Uh, without really uh, letting the appropriate people know and having the the appropriate response. Uh, and so there's an example here that I didn't read. So someone else talk about that. <laughs> it's the one we talked about earlier with the, the guy oh, right, who sweet. brought down the system twice in 18 months. So, yeah, I mean, it, it happens, right? Like it's it's not – But you got to like – It's going it to happen. You got to give it up for for Joe's honesty though. <laughs> <laughs> there it is in the show notes. He's like, I didn't read it, so I don't want to talk about like, it. A case study. I'm like, yo, I believe you. <laughs> I know you wrote this book around them anyways. So it, it, I, I mixed up white paper and case study earlier, which I don't know why I do that all the time. Like uh, I'm always thinking white papers. No. What's the difference? That's, that's the technical bits. White What's papers the- are like the technical bits, right? Like a, a case, I guess. Actually, I don't know. Maybe can there's not study, a huge difference. Yeah, well, can let's a case see. study so, be a white paper? Uh, I, I Googled it, and uh, your Google results may vary, but uh, the top result came back. It says a white paper provides the benefits and rationale for the implementation of a proposed solution, while a case study provides actual examples for how a solution has fixed a problem. Okay. Okay. So the case study is a real-life example, whereas the white paper is more like this is what we believe will happen. That makes a lot of sense too, like I've read yeah. I've read a bunch of like like machine learning kind of white papers that are all about like hey I think if we do this then you could see these kind of benefits right so, I, I so guess. it's like the scientific hypothesis approach as opposed yeah. to hey this is real world what happened when it crashed and burned although the interesting thing is that the it, the explanation then goes on to say a case study typically offers greater detail than a white paper with the exception of technical white papers right so. Yep, makes sense. All right, so I don't feel so bad about mixing those up in my head. They're fairly close. All right, so the next one we have is this whole thing that we briefly said earlier, this inject production failures. 
right? Like that seems like absolute crazy talk. And we mentioned the fact that Netflix has their chaos monkey. And the whole point of this is you make sure that you introduce failures in a way that you can at least predict, right? Like you want to do something not like, let's say that maybe you turn off a data center. You do that so that you could then find what all goes wrong when that happens so that you can start trying to implement things to fix that, right? That's really what it is. And so the more controlled you introduce these planned failures, the more you can take these steps to mitigate those things so that if they ever happen unexpectedly, like the thing that Outlaw mentioned earlier, when an entire region went down, Netflix had no issue. Right. Because they had done this to themselves over time and had prepared themselves to be able to handle it. Yeah. And uh, so someone here mentioned the comparison to a car, the car crash test. Remember the, the crash test dummies uh, in the 80s? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they even had an album. They had a cassette tape, which they did. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm this many years old. <laughs> Wasn't but, there a uh, band called that? I mean, like it was a legit band. That's what right? that too. That yeah. well, that's separate. So there were the crash system dummies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm um, sorry. I, can, that I still. <laughs> uh, once there was this girl who, yeah, uh, got into an accident and couldn't go to school, and then when and then, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was such a such a terrible terrible good song. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. <laughs> the, but there were actually there were rap songs by like the crash test dummies which were literally the crash test dummies that they would put in cars that had like they were shaped like humans they were like weighted like humans they had like different zones kind of marked for like the, the things that were most critical to human you know life like foreheads and stuff and they would take these cars and they would crash them and then like video play the tapes back and see how the bodies responded and uh, some of the things that they figured out then other than uh, that people that weren't really comfortable <laughs> seeing that kind of stuff uh is that um they ended up designing cars that were uh would have things like crumple zones and so the car would actually uh wreck in a way that would keep passengers safe so the car would get (laughs) a lot more damage in some cases because more would get destroyed but it would crunch up in such a way that it would um, be safer to the people people driving and uh, cars are much safer than they used to be uh, now in part because of these really big, great tests. Yeah. Yeah, Except when you get like a little fender bender in the parking lot, you've totaled your car now. (laughs) It's an accordion. It hit me at three miles an hour. What? Yeah. Oh, but they're saying that you should actually design your system or, or try to make your systems work in a way like these crash, these crashes, right? Like, Certain parts of your system might not do as well, but your core things, the things that you care the most about need to be resilient, right? So so think of those pieces of your system as the people in the car, right? You, if everything else crashes and burns around it, you don't want like your primary database to go, right? Something like that. Um, which uh, was, I'm going to throw a, a link in here, by the way, to the uh, 1987 Crash Test Dummies rap. Now, this is not the Canadian band. This is the literal crash test dummies that did a rap about how you should wear your seatbelts. And, uh, I mean, the dancing is phenomenal. This is like super 80s. So, uh, I definitely recommend you check out those show notes. That's oh, awesome. Man. How do I not click this right here? I've, I mean, I, yeah, I know. I it's <laughs> so bad. I'm actually waiting to the end of the episode and then I'm going to do it. Just the, the video alone is pretty good. <laughs> oh, man. I, I can't. I want to click it so bad, Joe. 
<laughs> but I know as I soon as I do, what the, about. the computer's well, like I can't the hear you over get, the rap. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so the next piece in here, because we need to hurry through this now so that all of us can watch this. Um, yeah, <laughs> is the, the you know the uh, the graceful degradation, right? So. If things start to fail, you want them to fail in the most graceful way possible, right? Like you don't want things just crashing and burning, if at all possible. Um, oh, and this was a really cool one too, right? Like we haven't gone into all the case studies in the book. Like we purposely skip over them. Otherwise, these would be 12-hour episodes. But another one that was really good is because like Netflix truly embraces their chaos monkey, right? Like <clears throat> truly. They use it for everything. Uh there was a, a point in time when AWS was going to upgrade the nodes that Cassandra run Cassandra runs on. There were over 2,700 nodes that needed to be upgraded, like the underlying hardware, right? This all happened because Netflix had planned for or down nodes with Cassandra, they had zero downtime because they had gone through this with Chaos Monkey, run through the simulations and fixed all this stuff. So what it actually had to happen, even though some of the Cassandra nodes didn't even come back up, life was fine. They, they didn't, it, it was like not even a blip on the radar. Super cool. Man, 2,700 Cassandra nodes. Like, I feel like as, as we got to like seven, eight, nine nodes, if I was working there, I'd be like, I don't know. That's <laughs> a lot. 2,700, jeez. There, there was also another part to that story, though, where at first they were like, oh, man, no, I don't want to do that. And it was going to be done like over a weekend and everything. And they were like, oh, I just can't. Like, no. And then they were like, wait a minute. We have the chaos yeah. monkey. No, forget it. No, we're good. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, we don't care. That's exactly yeah. how they put it. Yeah. Oh, wait. Hey, I'm going to the bar. All these. I'll be good. Uh-huh. Yeah, you guys do your upgrades. We're fine. We're yeah. fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, so the last section we have here are game days. And, and I've never actually been a part of one of these, even though I think we were going to be at some point, the three of us, when we were working at Amazon for a while, they had started talking about introducing these game days. And basically what this was, it was a term coined by Jess Robbins. And it introduces a large scale fault injection across your critical systems. Like, hey, we are going to turn off your network here. How does everything respond? <laughs> Okay, right? Like that's let me know when you turn it back is. on and I'll tell you how things are going. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I think the lights are still blinking. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that he said here, and I love this quote, and this is from Jess Robbins. He said, a service is not really tested until we break it in production. I, I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard truer words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, because let's be honest, right? Like you typically, and I, I say this not being facetious, I say this in probably the most accurate way. You typically don't design your systems thinking they're going to be broken all the time, right? You you sort of, if, if you're creating a website that talks to a database, you're just going to assume that it can talk to the database, Right. 
it's not until that database goes down that you're like, oh man, I didn't have anything checking to see if the connection would work. I didn't have anything checking to see if that query would fail, right? Like you just assume they work until they don't. Well, I mean, I assume they're going to work uh, in the first couple of weeks of a project. <laughs> By the time we get to the end, I'd be amazed. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's all but, about how how you plan to use something too. Like, I th- have we ever talked? Did I ever talk about like that the the raid story? Did I ever share that here? Yes, okay. yes, it's a good one. I mean, like that's that really that one. that's one that just comes to mind. You know, with like the way the the way the raid system was you know, quote, tested by by the people that built it, like the way they striped, you know, like if you're talking about like, like when I talk about a rate system, I'm talking about like one where the entire rack is nothing but hard drives with maybe a controller in the middle, you know, or, or you know, a controller somewhere. But, you know, uh, and, and the way they had tested their rack, you know, for performance was, you know, all they cared about was performance. So they would like stripe the, the rate arrays going across, uh, you know, you, they would say vertically because, you know, you'd have like one one bank of disks stacked on top of another, stacked on top of another, and each one of those were like physically separate chassis, right? And and to get to maximize performance, you know, you were using, uh, you know, each chassis for one drive, right, to like maximize that performance, which would just be blistering fast. It was awesome. But, it was like, well, hey, what raid level are you going to use? Because you know how important it is that is that array to you if you lost the entire you know the entire array because it's like you know if you're in raid five you could lose one disc or you know which means like you know either one disc or like one of those uh you know the the the, the what did I call it a moment ago the the tray that had the that had the discs the controller. Uh, the, no, no, no. The controller. There's a controller that would uh, literally control all the discs, but um, you know whatever w- whatever that tray is that would have the individual discs. I forget what I just called it a moment ago, but I'm gonna oh, go the with chassis now. The yeah. chassis. There you go. I knew it was a c word. <laughs> um, yeah, like you could either you know maybe in a in a good world you only lost like a single disc out of that chassis. You know, fine. But in a bad world, like maybe you lost the entire chassis, right? And, and then what happens? And, you know, if it's RAID 5 for RAID 6, you know, maybe fine. But what happens if you lost, like, a few chassis because of maybe, like, hey, I don't know, random power outage. That could happen. You know, like, maybe, you, like, you know, you lost the bottom half of the of the rack. And uh, I've seen it happen, right? And, and uh, you know, that could be catastrophic to, like, you lost every array that was that rack held. But, you know, if you striped it, your arrays to where you're going across the entire chassis, for example, and each volume was only going across a single chassis, you weren't maximizing for performance, but you're maximizing for resiliency. So it's like, what, what, you know, what matters to you, right? Like, what are you trying, what are you trying to protect against? And, you know, you think of like with this game day thing, I like, I bring it up because, and, you know, at the time, like people were saying like, oh no, you should definitely go, go vertical, not horizontal until it was like, you know, if you've never tried this with this game day idea of like, hey, let's break it and see what happens. Like, let's just see like what would happen in this situation if you lost multiple of these chassis, right? So, yep. Hey, well, let me get this straight. Well, we're not supposed to test the production, but we're supposed to break stuff in production, right? Isn't right. that crazy? 
Hey, so check this out. We actually had a conversation today that was interesting, and this this is where some of these game day things could come into play. So like I said, you, you typically design software with the notion that you think that, hey, this is going to work, right? And we had a conversation today, at least several of us did, to where um, there were services that relied on external APIs and services, right? If you've ever worked with something like Amazon's AWS APIs, uh, like their marketplace APIs and stuff, they will throttle you, right? Like you can have X number of requests. And if all of a sudden you bump up over that or you're you're issuing so many at a time, they'll actually kill the amount of data that you can get back. And so you start getting throttled back, right? Maybe you didn't even realize that. Maybe you never tested that in development. Maybe you had no clue that that happened, but you assumed everything worked, that it gets up there, and all of a sudden, you start hitting these throttling things and things start backing up. Well, think about this. If you're hitting a bunch of external APIs, what if you start having things like this happening all over the place, right? This is something that if you introduce a game day and you say, hey, what happens if this API goes down? Let's force it to not work, right? Like, let's say that we kill the DNS on even being able to get out to that thing. Now you can sort of plan and figure out strategies around it. Whereas if it just happens to you, now it's a fire drill, right? So that's the whole point of these game days is, is force these controlled failures. And, and what's interesting is, and we haven't even led up to this, is the game day is the day that you go do it. Like they're going to say, hey, we're killing all this. But you prepare for it, getting up to it, just like you would anything, right? Like if you're if you're going to try and run a 5K, you're probably going to build up to that over a few months, trying to get you know your lungs up and all that kind of stuff. You do the same thing preparing for game day. You you know internally shut down parts of a network and you say, okay, what happened? Let's evaluate it. Let's see what we can do to get around it, right? So you keep building up to it, and then that way everything that goes wrong, you take notes of it, you fix it, you retest it. Game day comes. Hopefully you're good. Probably you won't be completely because there's going to be some stuff you missed, but it makes you stronger because now you'll take the learnings from that and take them back, implement them, put the fixes in, and then the next time you'll be more prepared, right? So that's the goal of the entire thing is to create these these more resilient, these more fault tolerant, these more graceful degrading degradation or degradating system. Degrad yeah. Was it egregious? <laughs> egregious? It was it, it, uh, egregious degradation. Degradation does. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So, so uh, oh, it's on now. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, the episode's over, I guess. Never mind. Yeah. I'll, I'll get over. you next time. <laughs> Yo. Degradation. That's, that's a hard one. Yeah. All right, so we'll have some resources we like uh, as usual, and uh, now we're on to. Uh, I can't say it; it's Outlaws. I was gonna say it. Oh, uh, it's uh, Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah, come on. All right, so I've got only a couple this time, and these aren't so much <laughs> development. Yeah, only a couple. I know, right? Um, well, I got to make up for that episode where I had to run because my kid was yakking. So, um, I hate the way you describe it. <laughs> I mean, that's what it was. <laughs> uh, so this first one, isn't I, yak I an animal? Isn't that an animal? 
it just sounds amazing, right? Like it, it sounds right. It sounds like the right word. I'm pretty yeah, sure it's an yeah. animal. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it yeah, is an right. animal. Yes, yeah. it is. It is. I, I think they must vomit a lot. I it's don't a, know. A large oh. domesticated wild ox. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you learn many things on cutting blocks. Yeah, say. all kinds. Like, of yeah, all yaks yeah. are domesticated. I never knew. <laughs> Super important detail. All right, so your so kid had out. a yak in the house. That is crazy. No wonder you had to leave in such a rush. He got kicked out the house. Oh my um, gosh. So, <laughs> so, all right, back to this one. I think I've mentioned Mailinator in the past. Like, I hate giving my email when I go to a website and they're like, "Hey." You know, if you want this, you know, free how to write code, whatever, you got to stick in your email. I'm like, I really don't want to. So Mailinator typically works. Um, there are some sites that catch it. Yeah. I mean, there are times where they're like, hey, put in a valid email address. And I'm like, oh, man, they found out. Okay. So Firefox actually has a feature. And this came from Ali Navard over in one of our Slack channels. It might've been episode dis discussion or in gear, two of my favorites. Um, but at any rate, Firefox has a feature called Relay. Relay, And you can go to relay.firefox.com and they have the ability for you to plug in an email that will be at, um, I think, relay.firefox.com or something like that. And you can have it forward to your emails. So you don't even have to do mail and enter. You could actually use basically a trusted domain. I'm sure that this thing will get blacklisted at some point. But you can do this without having to go through another site. So I love this as a tip if you don't want to have to give out your emails. So uh, have you tried, speaking of, because kind of similar to that then, uh, have you tried the sign in with Apple where you can, where it'll create like a fake, you know, for you? I, I think I, anytime I see sign in with Apple or Google, I almost always say no, because that's usually using OAuth and behind the scenes, they're requesting more of your information. Like they, Hey, if you, if you sign in with Google, then they can have access to your profile, your contacts, whatever. And so I just don't do that. Like if I have the option to sign up with an email or something, I always do that instead of using one of the OAuth methods. Yeah. Except uh, it's not like that for Apple. That would be true hmm. for everything else. <clears throat> right. But, but with sign in with Apple, and this is why I was curious if you had tried it, because it kind of is similar to your relay Firefox, except uh, you know, obviously the place, you know, the, the destination has to support it in order for it to work, whereas the relay for Firefox is a little bit more generic. But uh when when you when you use sign in with I, I haven't tried it, so I, uh, you know, but just from like what they what they said about it, like uh when you when you sign in, the apps and websites can only like ask for the, the names, uh, in an email address set up. Wait, let me restart this. You can hide your, your email address and they, it can create like a, uh, like a spoof one, kind of like what you're saying with the relay that they can't, um, you know, track back to you. So like each time, like from one destination to the next, it's going to be a unique one is if I recall correctly, like it's not going to be similar to your relay at Firefox. Right. Yeah. Um, but but it's secure and uh, you know private from the from the get go, right? And because you know, if you have two factor turned on with your your Apple ID, then well, actually you might have to have two factor enabled with your your Apple ID in order to use sign in with Apple. Uh, now that I well, this is cool. 
I found the webpage and I put it under your tips of the week here, but this is awesome. So yeah, I mean, they've got the bullet points here saying exactly what you said. And so it looks like they kind of hide your identity for you. Like you can sort of put in what you want, which again, I know we've talked about this in the past. It's the reason why I'm on an iPhone. It's the only reason I'm on an iPhone is because they care about my privacy. So um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I like excellent. I said, I haven't had a chance to use it because, like you, anytime I see something like that, I'm like, no, I just don't want to sign in at all. You know, forget right. it. Yeah, I'll find another way. So my second one, and and I think we've mentioned uh, Martin Sailtag in a while. So I, back in the day, he was the one that helped us improve our audio quality on our podcast, like you know, massively, like back in episode. I don't know, 10. It's been a while. Um, but he's a constantly uh, an awesome member on our Slack, and, and he's always contributing good stuff, right? Uh, well, one of the things that he shared with me at one point is we were talking about different podcasts, and, and he listens to several as well. And one of the ones that he mentioned that I am an absolute fan of now is How I Built This by Guy Raz. If you love business and and hearing people succeed stuff. How I built this is probably other than Cody blocks. It's probably my favorite other podcast out there, period. But the reason I bring it up is I know people that listen to this podcast, they like to learn. This is, I mean, otherwise, why would you listen? I mean, yeah, we are funny and we are, you know, amazing and all that, but you know, you want to learn something. So there was an episode about Khan Academy I'd never heard of this and I felt kind of silly after not having heard about it because apparently it's a massively big deal. But the gist of it is Khan Academy will have a link here. It is a free learning website. If you want to donate, you can. It's amazing. But the reason I bring this up is a lot of us have kids that are working, that are at home doing school and stuff right now. The way the guy started this, um, I, I forget his whole name. It's something con. Um, doggone it. I cannot remember. Uh, at any rate, the gist of it is this. He ended up helping out like his cousins or his nephews or something or, or nieces with like some math. They were struggling with math. And he's like, look, anybody can do this. And he took the time to start tutoring them. Well, they loved it so much that they started sharing it with friends and family and everybody else. And and so he was like, man, everybody should be able to learn. So if you come to this website and you go to the courses dropdown, they have stuff for every grade level. They have topics from science to math, to chemistry, to all this kind of stuff. They have economics, they have life skills, they have all this. This is all free. And from what I understand, it is like the highest quality stuff. Bill Gates he was doing an interview somewhere, and if you listen to the episode, you'll hear this. It's actually amazing. Bill Gates was asked on some like AMA type thing, like, "Hey, what are you excited about?" And he said, "Khan Academy." <laughs> like, yeah how how unreal would that be? You know. So, uh, yeah. So, I, so I kind of am I wrong then to think that like you you were new to Khan Academy? I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So, so I kind of, I kind of got that impression. Um, uh, so my kids use it a lot. Like it's actually like a great, like anytime they need to study something or whatever, like they go, they go back and, you know, they'll find courses or, you know, subject matter related to Khan Academy. So it's an awesome resource for that. Um, and I've actually heard that like one of the, uh, 
when your kids get into SAT age range, that like one of the strategies that they that they recommend and they talk about for like let's take just the math portion of the SAT for example as a study technique for the SAT is they go to Khan Academy and then um, just brute force your way through all of the math starting back at like you know kindergarten first grade or whatever go back from the very beginning and then just blast your way through all of it as your study guide uh, you know. To, to before you go take that SAT. So I got a tip for you on that too, because he actually talked about this on the show. And again, I, I can't highly recommend it enough. I'll get a link and put it in the show notes for it. But he was actually approached to create an SAT testing course. So there is, there's actually three courses here on how to take tests for the SAT, the LSAT, and Praxis Core. So there are three courses on that as well. So if you are somebody that is trying to get into college or if you're already in your professional career and you know you have family members or family, friends, whatever, to where there are you know young kids that are getting ready to go to college, point them at this, right? Like practicing and getting this, getting a high score on an SAT can really change your options for where you're going, the kind, the kinds of things that open up for you. So um, here's absolutely amazing. Here's another uh, parenting tip that we've used over the years too. Uh, and now that you know about the Khan Academy, you can, you can use this one, uh, Alan, and you can thank me. And since your wife is listening too, then I'll, she knows now that you can't take credit for this. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first, but um, like w- one thing that like if you ever want to, you know, like sometimes your kids will want to like uh, do something to like get a reward, like 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 if you limit, um, you know, like how much time they can play like video games or whatever, right? You know, it, but maybe you want to like give them like kind of rewards or incentives to like, okay, fine, yeah, I tell you what, if you if you do this, then you can you know play another hour of whatever. Um, you know, we've used Khan Academy over the years as a way to like, hey, you know, go go work on uh, this subject in Khan Academy for, you know, 30 minutes or wh- whatever long, however long it takes, you know, go do that course. And then, you know, then we can talk. That's awesome. Yeah. I love so, it. Yeah. yeah. Any, and, and again, because let's free. face it, parenting is nothing more than it. it's just all about bribery. That's all parenting is. <laughs> Which becomes illegal as as things progress in life. But while they're at home, bribery is fully enforced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so those are my two tips. That's it. All right. Well, mine is uh, the Elgato Stream Deck. So we, uh, all three of us, just got these. Uh, we got the 15-button Stream Decks, which if you've not seen them before, uh, they're really popular with streamers uh, who need to do things like switching layouts or whatever for uh, the streams in order to kind of show or view or do certain kind of common actions. But it's basically like a, a deck of, in our case, 15 buttons. And each button is like a little monitor that can have a picture. Uh, and you can program the buttons to do whatever you want. There's a bunch of ones built in. Um, there's some that show like stock tickers or CPU. There's ones you can push and it will open. Uh, there's actually a bunch of VS Code extensions. So you can like run a build or start a debugger or open up a new window or whatever, open up a new terminal. Uh, and I've just been using it for all sorts of stuff. So we, we talked a little bit before about having like a, like a bin directory or a place for scripts on your computer and some people even check them in. And uh, so since I have got 
uh, the Stream Deck, <laughs> my my bin directory at work has exploded because <laughs> it turns out like this is just what I needed to like really kick it up a notch. I love not typing. <laughs> common little things and the problem with that is like uh with typing or even bringing up certain websites like say you want to check your calendar and i have a calendar button now uh the hard part isn't doing the thing or typing the thing or even remembering the command you know like that stuff's not too bad the hard part is finding the right stupid terminal for you to type that stuff or where you typed it last time or where the stupid tab is so instead of doing all that why not just set a button that will do the thing so if you want to pull your main branch uh and get into your directory instead of trying to find a good terminal window that makes sense to do that just press the button and it'll pull main for you uh you want to push it up there hey why not do that too why not do them at the same time what the heck that could be one button uh you can also switch profile so even though it's 15 buttons you can push a button and hey now's a new set of uh you know 15 or 12 or whatever uh so that's been really great. And so I've just got a ton of these little things and they all just do stupid things, but I swear the mental weight of not having to look for these things has made stuff so much better. And uh, we, you know, I mentioned working with Kubernetes a lot. I have buttons that will switch my environment. So before it used to be so annoying. Someone say like, oh, I had a problem. I'm having a problem over here. Can you check it out? And I'd be like, oh, I gotta go swap my context, go over here. Like it's just disruptive to my workflow. I don't really want to do that. Now it's like, let me just push the button. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm there. Already there. So this Git pull, like, I'm curious, you have it then launch a new uh, terminal? I, yeah. And does it and then closes? Yep. And you can do it in the background too. I mean, you, you pretty much do whatever you want. But I like to actually just see it come up um, just because, I, yeah, I don't mind waiting a second for it to kind of flip on. And it's kind of nice to see. But I have other ones that prompt me too. So it just runs a little PowerShell command a lot and say like, hey, what environment do you want to go to? You know, you can press like a one, two, three, four, five, six. It feels like the old day of programming. You know, we, you know, didn't have uh, sophisticated tools. And so there's nothing here that I couldn't have done with just shell scripts or whatever. But having a, just a button or you can just kind of reach or even just see the feedback. Like my dream here is to get a uh, Jenkins hooked up so I can push a button to kick off a build and just like maybe tell me what stage it's on. Four out of 17, green so far, great. You know, how much time is left? Something like just little stuff like that. It's just so nice. And so now I want to get like 30 of these things and like put them all over my house. <laughs> you know, I That's just thought an expensive project. Like I, I, I love the thing. It, it's um like Joe said, it's basically picture a 15 button keyboard and every key is a 72 by 72 pixel display that you can you can make the display be whatever you want it to be. Uh, like if you want to update it, fine. Um, and now you just made me think of like another use I'm going to use for uh, one of the one of the buttons. Now will be related to like when I am putting the show together. Like I already have a script that does the ID three tags for the show, and now uh-huh. I'm just going to like program it to be like. Button, go do the thing. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Not have to go open the program, not have to do this, that, this, that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. I was going to make awesome. one for uh, finding the file, naming appropriately, uploading the right spot, zipping it up. Like, oh, that's done. Like, that's all stuff I could do, you know, anytime. Like, and when I described it to my wife, she goes, I'm like, you need to get this. You're going to love it. You could turn on the lamp from the other side of the room. She's like, this just sounds like shortcuts that have been around since, you know, Windows 95. I'm like, no, it's, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay it's it's a about, tactile shortcut <laughs> so what about uh you know you're saying like it's just shortcuts but like if you we, we've talked about my love of the hue lights before 
you know, and like, because of where I work in my house, like it's, if my family needs me for any reason and they, they come down to my dungeon, uh, (laughs) that's what they call it, uh, you know, to where I'm at, like it can be frustrating on their point if they get all the way down there only to find out like I'm on a call or something like that. And I can't like, you know, uh, I'm not available at that time. Right. And so, uh, I actually use that stream deck to set up like I'm on a call button so that it can change hue lights around the house, be like, you know, red so that they can like immediately know like, Oh, he's on a call. You know? But, so, but in fairness, it is just a shortcut. Cause you could have done that by setting it up with Google or, or echo or any of the other. Ones, right? Sure. But if you're talking about like multiple zones, it's a lot easier when you only have the one button to do the thing. Right. Right. And, and that's the thing, like you could, you know, in the, the way that Joe described it, right? Like you could script anything you wanted to do, right? And and the thing is, like it has an API that is, you know, you know, straightforward API that's pretty cool. But really, you technically don't even have to, it doesn't even have to be anything to do with their API. You can literally right. like write a batch file. Like, I don't care, you write any executable thing and you can assign this you know, assign it to a button and it'll go do its thing. Like really the API comes in to play more is, is more important when you really want to like change the, the display. That's, that's probably more, you know, where, where the API matters the most. And so far, like, you know, I have some cool uses that, uh, you know, some cool buttons that, that are updating displays that like were just actions that were just already available uh, you know, like you, you can go, like Joe said, you can go Google around and find stuff. Um, but you know, for me personally, I, 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 like Joe, I'm just like, Oh, Hey, I already have this script. Like go execute it. Well, his Jenkins thing in the, in the back of my head, what I see is, is all right, let's say that you got the standard stream deck, right. And it's five buttons across the top and middle and bottom. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if it was truly like you, you messed with the API and, and it could show you like a little thing spinning for it's in the build stage. And then, and then the next one, it's in the deploy stage or, and these things turn green as they go through, right? Like that would be super cool. Um, How many times have you kicked off the building? You're like, okay, I'm going to come back and check this in uh, 11 minutes when it's done. And you get distracted. Next you know, it's like 40 minutes and you go back. Oh, and it failed. Right. Like, okay. Well now it's another 11 minutes because I fixed right. the typo. But if you yeah. could just look at your screen down there and it, ha- and it was on your little Elgato thing, yeah, you'd be like, right. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Now Not I want to make a little chaos. See. Yeah. <laughs> like push a button, kill a random pod or, you know, whatever. <laughs> the chaos pod killer. Uh, excellent. All right, so then uh, we'll head into my tip of the week, or, or tips of the week. Uh, I'm taking a cue from Alan. There so, so uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this. Like a, a lot of people have probably are, might have already seen this because it was quite popular on Netflix. Um, it, it was trending across the country in the top. But if you haven't already watched it, it's called The Social Dilemma, and it's a documentary. And Alan, you were talking about how you value your privacy and how that's the whole reason why, you know, you're, you picked the iPhone, right? So if you haven't already watched this, it's going to give you a whole new way of thinking about anytime there's ever a suggestion made to you, if you click it 
or interact with it. I don't care what kind of suggestion is. It could be a notification, right? Like it was, it was very interesting to watch, uh, the, the, you know, the, their little blurb here is this documentary drama hybrid explores the dangerous human impact of social networking with tech tech experts, uh, sounding the alarm on their own creations. And basically like you'll have people in there, like, you know, the, the eighth employee for Facebook or, you know, or whatever, like, you know, the guy who was in charge of like monetizing Facebook and, and, you know, the guy who invented the, the like button, you know, or like all these different things on, on social media, you know, that we're used to. Right. Uh, and that started out like innocently enough, but then became like ways to track you, uh, you know, across the internet or whatever. Right. And, and part of what they were saying too, is like, even the way that the apps would use notifications as to like ways to entice you to like get you back into the application. Like, you know, let's, I mean, it's easy to pick on Facebook for a moment. Cause you know, think about like, if you're on Facebook, like how many notifications they, they might want to pick, you know, to send you. Right. So how do they decide which ones to send? Right. And obviously they're going to try to like be smart about it and pick the one that they think it's going to have, or the notifications that are going to have the most likely, uh, you know, um, result in bringing you back into the application. And it was just kind of like talking about how there's also not only uh, those kind of strategies that they're employing, but like the way some of these things can like shape thoughts and, and uh, you know, thoughts and opinions on things, which, you know, you think back in recent years, how some of that has played out, uh, you know, especially in America, like, you know, kind of, you can kind of see like, Oh, this, it, you you can kind of relate to it if if that makes sense. You know, you can kind of see like, oh, I can see how this can like you can easily see a relatable way that like how it could matter and be a thing, and um, uh, you know, like how that how opinions can be shaped around the around the world, and it just takes like you know, uh, you know, with enough money you could like you know change opinions, and they were even describing like how depending on where in the world you are, for example, um you know, like even something as simple as a Google search, like I, I made the comment earlier that, you know, you might not have caught at the time where I was like saying like, okay, hey, this was what came up first for me for my Google search. <clears throat> and and they were saying that like, you know, uh, you remember like when we used to do the, uh, the, the, the Google feud, I think is what we called it. Do you remember those? Yeah. Those games? Mm-hmm. And, and we would purposely use like an incognito mode in order to like try to like uh, take away any, um, bias that the search might have had, you know, uh, otherwise, right? But, uh, you know, in here, they were saying, like, just your location alone could be part of the influence of, like, what Google searches might come back first, right? Like, what part of the country or what even what even part of the world you're in could, could influence. So, literally, you and I could do the same search and get different results. And, and so basically like the takeaway from it was that, uh, you know, or not, I don't want to say the takeaway, the downside of some of what they were saying was like, there, there, there are things that, w- that were created with purely innocent intentions. Like, you know, but unfortunately like what it ends, what it can end up happening if you're not careful about how you use all the technology that's available to us today, uh, you can end up 
you know, getting completely isolated and, and like stuck in your own kind of bubble, you know? So it was, it, it's a very good watch. It's a simple watch. It's not, it's not complicated. Uh, you know, you know, but, but, uh, you know, it's not like a three hour, you know, Avengers movie, you know, cool. that you had to watch all the first, you know, the first 20 in order to understand like where, where you're at, you know, in the current one. But <clears throat> yeah, it was interesting. Really good. Really good. And I don't like recommend, uh, you know, movies often, uh, on the show, but I, I thought that one was relevant and, and interesting. So then well, that explains why, uh, everybody on Facebook lost a dang mind. <laughs> oh. there. I literally see people call each other evil on a daily basis. Now, every time I go to look at like pictures of my niece. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I mean, th- there was a big, there was a lot of, uh, talk, you know, on like social media platforms from it, but I, I will say this, like, after having watched that, I was like, you know what? I went back through and I and I curated what apps can even that I even allow to give me a notification, and then uh, you know some on some of my devices I removed apps like Twitter, for example, because I'm like, you know what? If I'm on this device, I don't need Twitter in my world, right? You know, like so so um, I did that because by the way. Like some of this didn't just apply to like social media, like your tr- like what you might traditionally think of as social media, like a Twitter or a Facebook. Like email counts, by the way, you know. Like um, so, highly highly recommend giving it the the time to watch it. it it's you know worth it. All right. So in typical uh, Michael fashion here, I'm going to give you a Git tip. Um. So if you ever find yourself in need of migrating a TFS, a team foundation server or team foundation version control repository to Git, there are a couple tools out there for it. But the one that I've had the best luck over the years with is called Git TFS. And um, if I remember right, it's a it's written in uh, .NET. Uh, so, you know, for, from a windows platform, it works, uh, you know, faster. There were some other ones that I remember like several years back using that were like uh, Java based, but, um, which if you were on a windows environment meant like you had to install another dependency to even run Java code, assuming you weren't a Java developer by trade. And, but then the downside though, like ex- excluding like what language it was written in the execution of those other ones were just horrible in comparison. Uh, like, you know, it would take hours to do the same thing that get TFS could do in minutes. Um, so, you know, the performance wise, it was really good. So I'll give you a link to it. You can just do a Chaco install for this thing and it works great. Now that said the, the original authors for it, um, you know, they don't exactly maintain it. I mean, they, they have like a, a, a thing where they say like, Hey, we need your help because like, you know, we've already done our migration, so we don't need to keep maintaining this thing, but yet they still are like, like, uh, you know, I'm looking at their, their repository now and you can see like there was something that was updated nine months ago. So, you know, it doesn't get like daily kind of love or, you know, monthly love even, but, uh, and there, and there are like several outstanding pull requests, but it still works fine. Like I, I've, I've had good luck with it, uh, even with the current version that's available on, uh, chocolatey. Um, so I'll, I'll include 
uh, a link to the GitHub for that. But there's also this cheater way that I thought that I would like tell you, and I'll include I'll include documentation for this too. But if what you want to migrate, if like let's say you're in Azure DevOps, for example, and what you want to do that the the, the TF uh, VC repository is already in Azure DevOps. You can within Azure DevOps just migrate, you know, or import that other repo as a Git repo, and Azure DevOps will do all the work for you. And so uh, I'll, I'll include the the documentation for it. But basically, you would just go in to uh, you know the project that you want to import the other re- repository to, into click on your little drop down for the projects, click on import repository, and then you would select get and put in the, uh, the, the, the TFVC version of the project of the other project name and, and do the import. Now, of course there would be a, a there's gotta be a caveat to that, right? Because like, otherwise, why would I even talk about get TFS from the beginning? And the reason why is that, Git TFS, the beauty of Git TFS by doing it yourself through the command line is if you want to keep history and all of that, like, you know, you sky's the limit. You could do whatever you wanted to do in that, right? Like you want to deal with bringing in branches or whatever, you know, all of that is, is available to you, right? Whereas if you do the, the Azure DevOps cheat method that I'm uh, described, Azure DevOps will limit the history that it will bring in to the last, uh, I want to say the maximum is the last 180 days. Um, something like that. I, I believe it's 180 days. Whereas, you know, maybe, maybe that's fine for your needs or maybe you're like, Oh man, I don't want to lose the history from like, you know, six months ago, uh, or, you know, no, uh, a year ago. Um, so, you know, your mileage may vary, but, uh, pretty cool. Very if, nice. And, and that also reminded me too, you know, you were talking about, um, there at the tail end, you were talking about the whole, uh, with the game day thing and, and, um, you brought up rate limiting, you know, like, and it made me think like, um, have you ever like, you know, as a user of Azure DevOps, uh, you know, hit their rate limits. (laughs) I might've, I don't recall it though. Actually, yes, I do remember we have. Because I'm hitting them daily, <laughs> multiple uh, times a day, <laughs> with, with all of the uh, you know, with all the migrations that I'm doing now, and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to know that like when you go to to you go to Azure and Azure DevOps, and it's like, oh no, you don't get to see the repo. <laughs> <laughs> no sir, you not sir you. have abused it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's awesome. apparently a thing. I never knew. Uh, all right. Well, uh, with that, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, this is, you know, the third way. And we thought we were going to wrap up the third way. Turns out we didn't. Uh, <laughs> surprise. But uh, yeah. So be sure if, you know, if you happen to maybe a friend pointed you in the direction of this podcast and, uh, you know, or much like that, uh, the Twitter comment that you, you shared earlier, uh, you know, a friend pointed him to it. You know, if you're not already subscribed, be sure to subscribe to us. You can find 
uh, all the information, find us on every platform that you're looking for uh, podcasts on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your favorite place is. And if you have a favorite destination that we're not on, let us know. Uh, otherwise, as uh, Alan mentioned earlier, like we love the reviews. We greatly appreciate them. So uh, if you haven't already left us a review, it's it's one way that you can definitely put a smile on our face and it doesn't cost either of us any money. Uh, you can head to www.codingblocks.net slash review. Oh, I also see I have to say that while you're up there, uh, go check out our interwebs at uh, codingblocks.net to check out our show notes and our examples and there's discussion and there's, there might even be some rants and miscellaneous stuff. Uh, I think last time Joe put up some kind of random spreadsheet with like randomly changing things in there. You'll see Alan post videos of like random things that he decided to buy and review. Uh, yeah, you'll find all kinds of stuff there. Randomness. Yes. And if you haven't joined our Slack community, definitely go to codingblocks.net codingblocks slash Slack, where you can uh, go ahead and join over there and you can send us some feedback, questions, or rants up over there. We got channels for all of it. And uh, we're on Twitter at codingblocks, where we're uh, getting into all sorts of uh, trouble. Uh, you can head over to codingblocks.net and you can find your uh, social links at the top of the page and uh, some of ours too. Although maybe, uh, maybe not outlaws anymore. <laughs> Wait, what happened to mine? <laughs> Facebook said they don't like you either. Uh-huh. That's right. They don't like anybody. Uh, I get it. If you, now you know if, uh, if outlaw is ever working for Facebook, they gave him a lot of money. Oh, ain't, ain't <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> uh.